Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of The Jason Wright Show. Guess what? I just learned this this weekend, and I'm a little bit blown away. I have no idea how this is tabulated. I don't know if this is, there's a lot of relevance to this. I, I'm, and you know what? I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't play this down. The bottom line is I'm excited. I was doing some research, just kind of doing a, a random search on The Jason Wright Show to see what was out there on the Googles and on the interwebs and what came up whenever you search The Jason Wright Show. And I found a, a, a scoring uh website that basically ranks all podcasts and scores them on their listenership, their relevance to their audience, and their overall score on, I guess, downloads, episodes produced, and a whole sort of different sort of metrics, and found out that the Jason Wright Show is in the top 5% of all podcasts globally. Now, here's something else to know about that, though. Not again, not to kind of play this down too much, although I am not one to, and I probably should be more like this. I should be someone who kind of you know, toots his own horn a little more. I just, it's just really hard for me. Um, but the bottom line is um, of all podcasts, which I think there are over 3 million podcasts now, I think that's right. And uh, of all of them, the average number of episodes is seven. So, uh, and I'd heard this, I'd heard a statistic like this from my buddy, James Quandall a while back about just how few podcasts actually hit the 100 episode mark, because it is tough. It is tough to sit down at the microphone and produce a show each and every week. Eventually it's, it's one of those things that sounds like a really good idea at first. And then you just, it, then you realize to get it done, to get the work done, to actually come up with, uh, the, the topics and the subjects, it's, uh, it can be pretty daunting. And so to have stuck it out for nearly 300 episodes of the Jason Wright show over a four year period and to reach that top 5% globally of all podcasts was pretty awesome to say the least. And I am so glad for those of you who have listened from the beginning Thank you so very much. And if you're new to the show, thank you for being here. I think I've got a great show for you today, which is, I got to say, if, if this is your first time listening to the Jason Wright Show podcast, then I'm really glad you're here because this is going to be kind of different than what I normally do. And so those of you who are regular listeners, you know that the motto of the show is to improve always and always. And I don't limit that to health and wellness and mindfulness and all these it's just it's a whole array of things it's, it's essentially this show is kind of a manifestation of my attempt to reach perfect proportion in all areas of my life in my relationships in my emotional state in my headspace you know both from a what kind of a thinker from a from a from an actual strategy standpoint to a calm you know a organized thinker uh, having yes, good health. How do I balance my nutrition to have to, to fully optimize my physical health with exercise and training? And I train for longevity to try to be to focus more on health span versus lifespan. So, and I'm always I, I've done topics like like I've written in my Vitruvian letter. I don't know if I've ever come on and talked about it on the show, but how to have impossible conversations. That's a book I reviewed a while back and negotiation, uh, all these different things. I'm just, it's, it's basically every single area of life that each and every one of us are going to be faced with. I tried to bring topics to this show that 
I have experimented with, I've tried to learn something, I've either read a series of book, research, books, research papers, whatever the case may be, to bring it to the show and bring it to this audience so that we can all collectively try to improve always in always, seeking that 1% improvement each and every day for that 37x improvement uh, at over a 365-day year. And that's that's what the whole goal is. And so one of the things that I also want to do, I don't want to run away from uh, social issues, political issues. I, I don't want to run away from those. Now, I've thought about that a lot because so much of my background, I have ha- I've done a lot of work in the area of policy and politics and and all these different things. And so it's just a, a part of my DNA. And it's I was I've all, often said that I wish that I weren't as aware of things as I am. I mean, there's some people I've got buddies of mine that they wake up every morning. They think of one thing: make a lot of money, make a lot of money, and however you do that. That's the, that's what's on their mind. They are they are laser like focused on getting up, making a lot of money, or like some of my buddies that have played professional sports. How awesome is that? They they know that there's problems in the world, but you know what? What they do is they get up and they grind it out and they play ball. That's what they do. They do like my buddy Josh Tomlin said whenever he was in the minors, and it might be like some stud first round draft picks time to pitch whenever they were in the minors, and. They didn't want to exhaust the arm of the the first-round draft pick because he might actually get called up to the bigs, and Josh would get the ball even though he had already pitched the night before. But he was not considered one of the franchise players, and he just started saying, give me the damn ball. You know, These people, they just wake up every day and say, just give me the damn ball, and they don't care what's going on around them. I'm just not that way. I, I wish I were, but I like to know what's going on. And one of the things, but I also don't, ever want to, in my younger days, I was much more vocal and much more dogmatic in my approach to discussing these issues. But now I'm really in a space, you know, I'm about to turn 48. I've got two adult children. By the way, just made my last tuition payment to the University of Colorado. Oh my God. Parents, those of you who are out there that you've done that, you know what it's like. And those of you who have it coming, I just if, if you know that you have a child that is going to be going to college and you haven't started saving for college, go for it. It's a it's a lot of money, and I've got a and it, it, it's just one of the greatest accomplishments of a of a parent's life. I think is to get your children through school, and so one of my daughter, the one that I just paid the last uh, payment to, or her, her school, University of Colorado, is is Abby, and of course it's Boulder, Colorado. And the environment is a huge deal. The, the culture of woke is alive and well in Boulder, Colorado. If you've never been there, trust me, it is, uh, it is, it is woke central climate, uh, uh, environmentalist lover, you know, activist cent- central. And one of the things that Abby and I talk a lot about is the environment. And that's what I want to talk about today. Kind of a, a portion of this whole notion of wokeism. And, and again, look, here's the deal. If I'm going to talk about issues of wokeness, the environment, or any of these kind of touchy political subjects, I'm going to do my best to walk a line of being very, very pragmatic. And you're not—I'm not here to proselytize to the to the conservative or the liberal, the environmentalist, the I don't give a crap about the environment. Which I think, by the way, there are very, very few people that out there that don't give a crap about the environment. And that's one of the things I want to talk about today. But what I want to do is. As I see this whole culture of woke rising up, I've, I've started to ask myself, okay, so what are the tenets of wokeism? 
Because the thing is, with, with the whole woke culture, it seems very much like a religion. There are tenets. Uh, there's if and look, and this isn't coming from Jason Wright's just opinion. It's just if you've studied the philosophers and a lot of ancient history, and you know how, or just uh, philosophy in general, and uh, like some of the work of Nietzsche. If you look at, uh, at Nietzsche's writings in particular, I encourage all of you to read uh, uh, the Will to Power, and you will see in black and white why Nietzsche had such a problem with religion, or not necessarily a problem with it, but just how he categorized it as a means of controlling, leveraging man's desire to worship and look to something greater than themselves, and then others, leaders, using that knowledge to manipulate and control people. And you could see how we can get to this place where we're living in an an era where there's there's seemingly seemingly a new religion, and so if there's a religion, then there's going to be some some tenets, right? I mean, like in as the, in the Christian faith, we have the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. We have the fruit of the Spirit. We have uh, the whole idea of forgiveness and loving thy enemy and doing to do unto thy neighbor as you would have done unto yourself. And so there there are tenets to kind of the Christian faith. So I ask myself as I look at the doctrine of woke. Um, what are their tenets? And this is the best that I can I can glean from the the woke crowd. What they're most interested in. And I broke it down into the these categories or these tenets, if you will: um, race, sexuality slash gender. I'm putting those kind of together, uh, and the environment. I think those are probably the biggest tenets of wokeism and so but the biggest one that seems to be kind of you know there's some people that just aren't interested at all in the 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 transgender movement and what's going on there they're just not going to go there they're just not going to deal with it uh with race that's something that's 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 touched us forever before wokeness ever came along we've been battling racial issues and trying to figure out how to make make everything make everything more harmonious in that area but now this idea of the, the climate, I think that's the one thing that you don't have to be, uh, it, it, it kind of crosses all cultural barriers. You know, contrary to a lot of my liberal friends' beliefs, conservatives in red states, I mean diehard conservatives, don't necessarily have an I don't give a crap attitude about the environment. They just don't make it their number one priority, or they just don't agree with the solutions to fix it. So, and and so 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 I wanted to try to use this this episode to to discuss this and kind of where we are and how do we, and how can we better understand each other's point of view. And so so just those of you watching on the YouTube channel, I had to go out and get some some help for this. So I reached out to. Constantine Kizen, comedian and co-host of Trigonometry Podcast, which is absolutely fantastic. Our very own climate czar, former senator, former former Secretary of State, uh, John Kerry. And then I also look to one of the wisest philosophers of our time, uh, one of the greatest scholars to come along in a long time, Dr. Jordan Peterson. And then I even checked in with Bill Maher. So as you can see, I had to go get some help 
to to uh, to kind of explain or not explain. I'm not here to explain anything. I'm just here to try to understand it out loud with you all. And I want you to take this episode and listen to these different points of view and then see if we can get to a place where we have a better understanding of what's going on surrounding this whole idea of the climate and how we fix it and and or how we can just live with each other. What you know if we if we're going to try to save the planet, what's why would we want to save a a house where everybody in it despises and hates each other and wants to get the hell out. That doesn't make a lot of sense. So how can we do this in a way that we all better understand each other and we do it in a harmonious fashion? So I want to start with a clip from John Kerry whenever he was in Davos a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking essentially about saving the planet. And he got a lot of press on this. And, and really, it, it it bothered me, but again, this isn't the topic of the conversation. The way he spoke, he gave a lot of insight into how uh, this this group of people that are are thinkers that are at the top echelons of of wealth, prestige, academia, and how they think. and And you can just listen to his words. I'm not going to editorialize it beyond that. But he poses a question that I think it's very important that we look a little bit deeper as to how to find the answer that Secretary uh, Kerry is asking here. So with that, here is John Kerry in Davos. But it really is important to be here. Let me try to settle down here and focus on the task at hand, if I can. Uh, And I'm privileged to to share a few thoughts with everybody here. I, I keep, uh, I was sat up last night, my daughter is here, she does a lot of work in health, and we met up last night, we're sitting there talking, you know, so how do we change the way people are thinking about this and talking about it, and why is it that allegedly wise adult human beings, CEOs, some of them, United States senators, some of them, a whole bunch of folks, <clears throat> want to ignore science and want to ignore mathematics and want to ignore physics and somehow cannot bring themselves to do what we need to do. And when you stop and think about it, it's pretty extraordinary that we select group of human beings because of whatever touched us at some point in our lives are able to sit in a room and come together and um, actually talk about saving the planet. I mean, it's so almost extraterrestrial to think about, quote, saving the planet. Uh, so let's, let's add, look at a little bit about what Kerry's saying there. He asks a question, and, and just the, the, the way it's set up it, it is, is kind of the problem. Essentially, he says, why won't people who know better do what needs to be done and do the right thing? It's as though it's a zero sum answer. It's kind of, and the way, and I'll get to this about whenever I talk, kind of break down and let Jordan Peterson discuss why there's a, a religious component to this. It, it, it's become one of these deals like it, when people come up to you and they say, Do you believe in climate change? If you say anything other than absolutely, then they think you're stupid, you're a science denier, or whatever. It's like, it's kind of this, it's so, um, 
it just it, it, it is it's so zero sum, and I just don't think that's a good way to approach it. It's almost like someone coming up, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if not, well, then you are burning in hell. That's kind of the way it's become. Do you believe in climate change? Well, then you are burning down the planet. And also, one of the things that he talks about in the next clip that I'm going to go into, which I think is so very important, is a speech that was given by Constantine Kizen, comedian, and uh, again, I, I mentioned it earlier, the co-host of Trigonometry Podcast. He was at Oxford Union, and he gave a speech that went viral. And I wanted for nothing else just to make sure that this audience had heard this, because I think he does an excellent an excellent job of describe, of answering this very question that John Kerry posed. Although I'm, I'm, I'm troubled by the way Secretary Kerry asked the question as though it's like, you know, why, don't, why are people that, you know, not believing in physics and mathematics and science, it just, it's, it's kind of a condescending way to approach it. And then the whole idea that, you know, people in that room had been touched, they were special, and that they had been tasked with saving the, the world. And then, and then when he says this, do what needs to be done. Uh, and I just get your mind around the language he's using there. And then Constantine Kizen at Union at, at, uh, at Oxford Union gives this, this, this speech that, again, has gone viral. And I think he sums up so very, very well why this is a nuanced situation. You see, you, you can't just ask people all of a sudden to change their lives, to start paying for more energy, to start just completely correcting course without doing some damage to the lives of those who are not in the room with John Kerry, those who have not been touched by whatever force that has brought them there to save the planet. And here is, I want to start with kind of this understanding of the ramifications of some of these solutions that are being offered in real life by the environmental groups like John Kerry, like the, the members of the group that John Kerry was speaking to. Here is Constantine Kizen at Union. We are told that your generation cares more than any other about one issue in particular, and that issue is climate change. We're told that many of you suffer from climate anxiety. You wish to save the planet. And for tonight, and tonight only, I will join you. I will join you in worshiping at the feet of St. Greta of climate change. <laughs> Let us all accept right here, right now, that we are living through a climate emergency and our stocks of polar bears are running extremely low. I join you in this view. I truly do. Now, what are we to do about this huge problem facing humanity? What can we in Britain do? We can only do one thing. You know why? This country is responsible for 2% of global carbon emissions, which means that if Britain was to sink into the sea right now, it would make absolutely no difference to the issue of climate change. You know why? Because the future of the climate is going to be decided in Asia and in Latin America by poor people who couldn't give a shit about saving the planet. No, thank you. No, thank you. It's going to be decided by poor people in Asia and Latin America who don't care about saving the planet. You know why? Because they're poor. Because they're poor. I come from Russia, which is not a poor country. It's a middle-income country. 20% of households in Russia do not have an indoor toilet. 
What they have is an outdoor toilet. And I don't mean one of those nice port that we get here. I don't even mean a Glastonbury port <laughs> I mean a wooden shack with a hole in the ground that holds a collected fermented memory of the last 10,000 visits. <laughs> How many of you are going to go home tonight and say, let's rip out our bathroom and erect a Siberian shithouse in the back garden? <laughs> and if you're not, why should they? 120 million people in China do not have enough food. I don't mean that they don't get dessert. I mean they suffer from malnutrition. That means that their immune system is breaking down because they don't have enough food. You're not going to get them to stay poor. Imagine you're Xi Jinping, the leader of China. When you were 10 years old, there was a revolution, a cultural revolution in your country. And people came and they put your father in prison. Your mother had to denounce him. Your sister killed herself. And you, no longer enjoying the protection of your formerly powerful father, were sent to a village where you lived in a cave house. And here you are, decades later. You have clawed your way up the bloody and greasy pole of Chinese politics to be the undisputed supreme leader of the very communist party that destroyed your family. And you know that the main thing you have to do to survive and to stay in power is to deliver the one thing that the people of China want, prosperity, economic growth. Where do you think climate change ranks on Xi Jinping's list of priorities? A third of all children who live in extreme poverty in the world live in India. That means they are starving and dying of preventable disease. Now, about 15 months ago, my wife got pregnant. Not me, because we're old school. <laughs> and for nine months, we talked about what our boy would look like, what he might do when he grows up. We looked at baby scans and videos on YouTube about what the fetus looks like at nine months and 12 months and 20 months. And eventually he was born. And he is this cute little bundle of joy. He's cuter than about 80% of puppies. Right. Now, if you said to me that I had a choice, either my son had a serious risk of starving or dying from a preventable disease in the next year, or I could press a button and he would live, he would go to school, he would bring his first girlfriend home, he'd go to university and graduate and become a woke idiot. <laughs> And then he'd get a job and get married and have children and become a man. But all I have to do is press this button. And for every day of my son's life, a giant plume of CO2 is going to re get released into the atmosphere. Now, you're all very young, and most of you are not parents. Let me tell you something. There is not a parent in the world who would not smash that button so hard their hand bled. You are not going to get these people to stay poor. You're not even going to get them to not want to be richer. And so, I put it to you, ladies and gentlemen, there is only one thing we can do in this country to stop climate change, and that is to make scientific and technological breakthroughs that will create the clean energy that is not only clean, but also cheap.
and the no, thank you. And the only I, I want everyone to get home on time today, which is not going to happen. And the only thing that wokeness has to offer in exchange is to brainwash bright young minds like you to believe that you are victims, to believe that you have no agency, to believe that what you must do to improve the world is to complain, is to protest, is to throw soup on paintings. And we on this side of the house are not on this side of the house because we do not wish to improve the world. We sit on this side of the house because we know that the way to improve the world is to work, is to create, it is to build. And the problem with woke culture is that it's trained too many young minds like yours to forget about that. Thank you very much. So if, I, I, the reason why I want to play that is because that's the brutal reality. That, and I want to say something, too, that I think we all need to understand in a global context. Climate change and climate activism and whatever we're going to do to solve these problems is not a red and blue problem. It's not. It is not a liberal versus conservative problem. It's not, that's, that's what the media and the politicians have tried to make this out to be. It's a great, great uh, uh, hammer to put in the hands of of people to battle it out and keep them divided. But this is not a red-blue issue. It is a poor versus wealthy issue. It is a third world versus first world issue. It is a, I want to freaking eat versus I've got so much to eat that I'm fat I'm obese, I'm air-conditioned, I'm iPhone-owning, and I need something else to bitch about problem. Now, I'm, that's what this is. This is a, I don't have the luxury to worry about the, 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 the temperature of the Earth's, Earth rising by one degree over the next 100 years. I've got to worry about feeding my child today. And a lot of the solutions that, have been, that are being proposed would make it seemingly impossible for that parent to feed that child with higher energy prices, with less global employment and less economic prosperity around the world. But it doesn't just end there. So Bill Maher, who has... Uh, surprisingly become kind of the ire of, uh, of some of his left friends. Uh, he makes a great point, not that this isn't just necessarily a, um, a poor versus rich problem. Even it's kind of a human problem of just living our lives and living standards for all. And I thought he did an excellent way or an excellent job of kind of coming clean, if you will, about the hypocrisy of so many people who claim to be environmentalists, but yet don't walk the walk, don't talk the talk. And he himself admits that, you know, this isn't just a problem with, I hate the earth, I love the earth, but it's more of a, I like my living standards. 
I like to be able to cook on a gas stove. I like to be able to have conditioned air. I like the fact that that I don't die of heat exhaustion or freeze to death in the UK because I can't afford these 5X increasing energy prices. So I want you to hear from now Bill Maher on this issue to get a better understanding of, again, the realities of what some of these policies and these actions, what it really means at a human level. And try something new. I don't know what will work, but I know what didn't work. Asking people to be good. When you tell humans, if you do these environmentally friendly things, we can all continue to live, their response is, what's in it for me? <laughs> so just- now, I want to I pause just for a moment there because the difference between those of us living in the United States of America in particular, the what's in it for me is much different than the what's in it for me in Uganda, in the southern Hunan province of China. It's much, much different than what's in it for me. And that's that's kind of the point. Now, Bill Maher takes a much more first world approach. Look at this versus Konstantin Kizin, who was talking about, look, when you're talking about other sides of the world, when you're not in France, Germany, the United States of America, anywhere in the UK, when you're not in these uber ultra developed nations, it's a what's in it for me? Will I still get to eat? Will I one day have a toilet that flushes in my house? Because if not, I'm probably not going to be that interested in going forward with your plan. Those are the real questions. But now Bill Maher talks about just what it means to Americans in, you know, well, how's it going to change my life? What's in it for me? And as selfish and stingy as that may seem, we're all human and we have a human nature. So he continues. To be clear... I do still believe very much that climate change is an emergency, but I don't think we're going to win it by grocery shopping with a laundry bag (laughs) or banning the gas stove. Scrolling on your phone can use more energy in a day than the refrigerator, but no one is going to give that up. It's just not in us, including me. And I'm tired of living a, well, not a lie, but it's also something I never mention, but it's a new year and I'd like to come clean. My name is Bill. (laughs) (sighs) And I fly private. And so does every other person who calls themselves an environmentalist who can. Now enjoy this fun photo collage of some of your favorite stars and <laughs> politicians. George Clooney, Michelle Obama, to our Mark Zuckerberg, print, but who are always on private planes. That's right. Leonardo DiCaprio, Bernie Sanders. If you don't see Prince a Charles, now King Charles, here, it's because Drake, we weren't Brad allowed Pitt, to use it. Paul McCartney. Or their series got canceled. Sting. <laughs> But all the environmentalists of Hollywood and Washington do it. Their position on climate change is, we must do more to stop pouring carbon into the air, except for me when I want to go somewhere and then I take a private jet. <laughs> there are t- and here, look, he's being funny, and that is, and I'm not saying that, um, I, I don't want this to be a, a, an idea of, these hypocrites need to stop flying private and put their money where their mouth is. That, that's one thing. 
I think what Konstantin Kizan was saying, what Jordan Peterson will allude to in the next clip, and what Bill Maher, the point he is going to make at the end of this clip is, instead of making life worse, let's make it better through technological advances. Yes, there is a balance there. Yes, we, you know, whenever I was growing up as a kid, before the whole don't mess with Texas campaign started and that sort of thing, it was not unusual to just throw your trash out the window as you drove down the road. Who could imagine doing that now? Now, I know there are a small handful of people. There's still trash on the side of the road, but it's a pretty rare instance. Whenever you, I grew up in the 80s, remember when you walked into a restaurant and there was a smoking and non-smoking section? When's the last time you walked into a restaurant and they asked you, would you like smoking or non-smoking? What about our cars? What about the miles per gallon, the, 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 the efficiency that our cars now have? I mean, there are things that we've all kind of, humans have an amazing way of realizing, yes, this is a problem, but we're, we're going to prioritize our problems. Again, I, 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 I'm always taken aback by an environmentalist sucking on a cigarette that is obviously obese. Uh, you, and you cannot convince me that that smoking fat person is just so magnanimous that they're like, well, I'm out to save the planet for my kids, not for me. Well, you know what they'd probably like is for you to be around. They would probably like for you to put down the ciggies, eat better, do some exercise so that grandma is going to be around a little longer. <clears throat> so I think that we have to come to a conclusion that, yes, we need to be as responsible as possible for sure. But these global mandates and problems, we're, we're going to, most of us in this country, even the poorest among us as Americans, we will probably, we're malleable enough and this nation is wealthy enough that we will probably be able to adjust to pretty much anything they, that's thrown at us. But these other nations around the world, in the, like the, the kids in India, one-third, to repeat what Constantine Kissin said, one-third of children in poverty are in India. What about them? It's not just as simple as turning down the thermostat for them. They have no thermostat. It's not just low-flow toilets. They don't have a toilet to be low-flow. And if we keep on, and there's not enough money in the first world countries, and in particular America, to give them to solve the problem. Two kinds of people in the world, those who fly private and those who would if they could. And, and then I want to say something to this point right here that Bill makes. There's those that want to fly private and those who would if they could. Well, guess what? There are still people in this world, and this is really hard for us to get our minds around in the United States of America. There are still people in this world who would flush their freaking toilet and those who don't have a toilet. There are those who would live in air conditioning and those who would live in air conditioning if they could. You follow me? He's making a very good and satirical first world issue of this. But the thing is, it's not so zero. It's, it's, it's a bigger issue than that. It is real life that what, like he's talking about the being flying private versus not private, but that, that luxury of have and have not goes all the way down to what you and I take 
as just for granted as basic necessities of life, like running water, conditioned air, clean water. And the more expensive you make it to live, the harder it's going to be for all of these individuals to get that. So here's an underlying thread that you're going to find. It's economic freedom and economic upward mobility that is going to allow all of us to be able to have the luxury to accept our responsibility as people who should be good stewards of the environment. Side of heads of state, almost everyone else could fly commercial. Why don't they? Ask anyone who tried to get home for Christmas last year. (laughs) And don't tell me the younger generation is better. They're not, they're just poorer. (laughs) They're actually worse. This is who they look up to. The family where everyone has their own private jet. And kids love Bitcoin, which to determine the value of takes an amount of computer processing, processing that uses more electricity than some whole countries. Kids could have rejected that, but they didn't. They love it. Why? Because they want to be rich. Why? So they can fly private. <laughs> In 2021, 80% of new vehicles weren't electric, weren't even hybrid. They weren't even cars. They were SUVs and trucks. That's what people want. In 1973, the share of global electricity generated by coal was 38%. You know what it was 46 years later in 2019 after all the talk and all the trying? 37%. You know what percentage of plastic gets recycled? Five. Five percent. Those blue bins that are everywhere, they're not full of bottles, they're full of shit. Need to get serious, really. More nuclear, moving way more money into research and development. I don't know, but something serious because the real technological problem is the way people are wired. And that, my friends, is the key to this. Humans are wired to want to survive, essentially. Humans are wired to want to live in some form of relative prosperity you're not going to be able to get the globe to just all of a sudden accept being poor, accept being, go from middle class to lower middle class, people that have climbed their way into a level of living and then just step back. You cannot do that. It's just not, it's, it's, there's so many things that we want to do to be able to cast these, this, these global devils and angels and that the angels think that they're going to somehow get the, the, their devils to, to, to proselytize them, to come to their side by beating them over the head and making their lives worse. That's not going to happen. Anytime you run up against human nature, you're in trouble. And that's what Bill Maher is making that point from, again, a much higher level, a higher earning but uh, position as opposed to what's really going on around the, the globe. But it, the same principle applies. And so instead of this idea of everyone just get poorer, everyone live poorer, everyone start living less comfortably, instead, what if the solution is let's create a way to where more people can live more prosperously? 
How can we teach people to, be, to, to use their gifts and talents to the ability to where they can get to the point where I think that, and Jordan Peterson might make this, in his, uh, make this point in his, uh, the clip I'm going to play of him, where if once a, an individual starts producing around $5,000 per capita in a nation, then that's whenever they get comfortable enough to where they're not just clinging to survival to where they can kind of, they've got some margin to look around and go, <clears throat> okay, I'm able to feed myself and my family. I'm able to keep a roof over my head. So now let's look at the, let's look outside my door. How can I make that better? But until then, until they get to that point, they're just trying to survive. And so if you're going to make it harder for them to survive, then you're never going to fix the planet or climate change or all these other issues that we have at hand. So here is Jordan Peterson kind of further describing this this view that the people, again, the touched people at Davos have and why it, it flies, it, why it is as well intended as I most certainly believe it is. It can have catastrophic effects on the quote unquote lesser among us. So here's that. Uh, rip, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, demolisher of natural virginity and beauty. And then the human being is the individual is characterized as nothing but a, you know, a devouring mouth whose activity runs contrary to the, to the untrammeled beauty of the planet and that supports the activity of the tyrannical patriarchy. That's basically it. And so the reason that narrative has force is because it draws on underlying religious archetypes. And so to characterize the world properly, you do need to characterize the positive aspect of nature because you have to live in something approximating a reciprocal harmony with nature. Because if you just eat everything and you know, devour everything in your local landscape, well, then you die. So that's a bad idea. So you have to have some sense of the value of nature. Now, you also have, some, have to have some sense of the fact that if you were dropped in the jungle naked in the Amazon, and that's completely absent from the environmental myth. That's part of what makes it pathological. And then with regard to the rapacious tyranny, let's say, well, you know, any industrial system or any human organization can exploit the natural world to the point where that's not sustainable and it can become oppressive and tyrannical. That's the evil king, ancient part of religious mythology going back as far back as we can chase it. So you need a representation of the negative aspect of society because, you know, you go to you send your kids to school and they kind of get turned into these cookie cutter kids and that crushes their innate, uh, what would you say, difference and beauty and it's all the pain of having to be socialized and you have to understand that there is this oppressive element of culture. And so, but then, you know, you should also wake up and, and notice that you've got the wise king too. And that means you put, you plug in your damn toaster in the morning and the electricity works and you go out on the street and everyone isn't rioting. And, you know, there's workmen who are knee deep, knee deep in the sludge trying to keep everything going. And you're not starving to death like everybody on the planet was in 1860. And so a little gratitude for the positive end of the patriarchy is in order too. And that's completely absent in the environmental view. And then with regard to the individual, it's like, well, of course you can be a selfish, impulsive, hedonistic consumer, and you can facilitate the rapacious tyranny 
as a consequence of that, rape the planet. But by the same token, you know, we're not a cancer on the face of the earth. We're not a virus that's mutating and taking out the planet, you know, and we're not trapped in a Malthusian nightmare. And you got to give credit where it's due. And, you know, there's an element of people, of everyone that's noble and, and generous and kind and productive and capable of living in a well-ordered state in something like sustainable and productive harmony with nature. You only get half that story. Now, if you have no comprehensive underlying cultural narrative, which is increasingly the case in our society, and someone offers you when you're a teenager half the religious story, that'll just snap you up in a second. And that's what I think has happened in a lot of these cases, especially amongst young people and those in universities, that they're only hearing <clears throat> one side of this environmental story. And that's what I wanted to do today was, again, <clears throat> I'm not here to try to get anyone to be a better environmentalist or anyone to stop you know, being the diehard climate activist that they are. What I wanted to do today was just to give an understanding of the other side of the issue that essentially had nothing to do with is climate change real or not? Is global warming real or not? Are the polar bears going to all die? Is San Francisco going to go? San Francisco going to fall off into the ocean? All those things that we hear about this this binary approach to climate. I just wanted to to take a moment to to try to at least in my small little fragment of the 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 ether that's out there this show to say what Jordan Peterson just said like if this is a tenet of the religion of woke and you are subscribing to it and you're only listening to half of the sermon you're not listening to the other half then that can be a problem and what you will do is what you most definitely do not want to do. I, I would believe that anyone that <clears throat> is someone that is serious about quote unquote saving the planet has the best of intentions. And I guarantee you that better than 99.9% .9 of them certainly don't believe or have not considered, or it hasn't been presented them to them the fact that, Hey, if we were to get the government to go full bore into doing what you say you want to do, there would be millions of people that would suffer at the hands of those policies in ways you can't even fathom. You can't because you've got it too good. You've got a toilet. They don't. So I hope this was, this was, um, and look, I, I apologize where if the, the clips were kind of wonky or whatever, you know, I'm just now, uh, I'm not the best editor in the world. And I edited this whole thing myself. I wanted to try to figure out how to bring you this message and, and call on some of these, um, these, these leading voices to kind of give some nuance to this issue that, that I'm constantly exploring and trying to figure out ways to to be a better steward of the resources but i also take a look at myself and go i am i am blessed and i have i understand i have the ability to look to to pause and take a breath and go how can i be a better steward because i don't wake up every day thinking well first of all i mean today this morning it's 33 degrees i don't have to think Dear Lord, I've got to go out and try to drop a deuce in 33 
degree temperatures out in my backyard outside of my hut. But someone on the other side of the world does. And I would like to see a way that we can be good stewards of the environment, but also help those people get themselves out of the hut and get the toilet into their home before we start uh, going around proselytizing people into the church of, uh, of, of woke, uh, the climate denomination. Okay, I hope you found this beneficial. Let's keep this conversation going. I'd love to hear your responses. Go to jasonrightnow.com, contact form, let me know what you think, or, uh, or uh, texttitans.blog and respond. Let me know what you think, uh, and uh, let's keep the conversation going. Until we meet again, continue to improve always in always. I'm Jason, and I'm out. Well, that does it for this episode of The Jason Wright Show. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a Texas Titan Media production. Fourth Wall did the music. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Please consider going out to jasonwrightnow.com and signing up for the Vitruvian Letter. Also, please go out to iTunes. It takes like 30 seconds to just leave us a five-star rating. It does wonders for the podcast. I would be so grateful. And with that, until we meet again, go crush it and endeavor to improve always in all ways. I'm out.